This is an ABC podcast. Hack. Hello, how's it going? Joe Lord with you for the Hack podcast. I'm filling in for Dave Marchese. It seems like everyone in Australia is freaking out about how many people are getting addicted to vaping. But over in Britain, the government is going to give out vapes to smokers to try and get them to quit. We're going to be finding out if this is something we're going to start seeing in Australia. And also, Taylor Swift has broken up with her long-term boyfriend and all over the internet, fans are devastated and they're mourning. Yes, mourning in some pretty extreme ways. So we're going to find out about why people freak out so much about celebrity breakups and a bit about that idea of parasocial relationships that we have with celebrities. First up, though, let's talk about racism allegations in the AFL. Hack. Sorry. Got to deal with racial vilification. Got to deal with uneducated idiots out there that, you know, want to bring you down. But I'll keep calling it out until it stops. On Triple Jack. We're only a few rounds into the AFL season this year and already the same issue is coming up again, racial abuse. There's been a number of incidents already in this season of First Nations players getting racially abused online and also at matches by fans. Today, the head of the AFL came out and condemned them and he called for a stop to racism in the league. If you're an AFL fan, I want to know, how does it make you feel seeing racism overshadow the game again and again? And also seeing these talented players just copping so much for just being a part of the game. Text in on 0439 757 Here's Kim Price with more. Round four of the AFL season has just wrapped up and already the league is making headlines for all the wrong reasons. Since Monday, four Indigenous AFL players have alleged that they have been racially vilified online, including degrading messages sent to them on social media based on their skin colour. The AFL CEO has issued a statement condemning racist remarks to players after another case of online vilification. The AFL has confirmed it's investigating some of this abuse. CEO Gillian McLaughlin released a statement overnight also condemning it, saying it really has to stop. The latest allegations of online vilification come only two weeks after Western Bulldogs player Jamara Yugul Hagen was racially abused by an opposition supporter while playing in round two. The following week, the 20-year-old booted the opening goal in his team's game and lifted up his shirt to point at his skin. The same gesture made by St Kilda player Nicky Winmar in 1993. I did want to make a stance. I wanted to show my presence, which I'm just a boy trying to play some football. Same as the other Indigenous boys. I think Almost 30 years since Nicky Winmar's stance, the AFL great says his message is still as important as ever. Showing that we were, we were here and we are proud of who we are and the colour of our skin and, we, you know, we, we also can play this game. Racism in the AFL isn't a new problem, but after being hidden for years, it's now in the spotlight. Last year, the Hawthorne Footy Club was accused of racist treatment of young Indigenous players. The club was accused of separating players from their partners and there were allegations the club pressured a couple to have an abortion. There are calls for an urgent review into every AFL club in the wake of the Hawthorne racism scandal. Over the years, many Indigenous players have stood up against racism and called for the AFL to do more to protect players. The most famous is two-time Brownlow medalist Adam Goods. I needed to get away from this toxic environment which had up until that point in time been a safe place for me to just be um, an incredible player that I wanted to be. Hack 
on Triple J. Kim Price reporting there. Now, Ben Abitangelo is a Gunnar Kerno and Wajabalik creative and writer, and he's also a former professional cricketer with the Melbourne Stars. And he's with me now to chat about this some more. Ben, thanks so much for coming on Hack. Thanks, Joe. Just to start with, the AFL has yet again been in the spotlight for racist abuse of First Nations players, both at matches and online. And we just heard there from the AFL CEO, Gil McLaughlin, and his response. What did you make of his comments that he made today? Uh, Honestly, I think Gillan's comments are really shameless, actually, and devoid of any sense of integrity. Um, I think they carry no weight whatsoever and should actually be treated with utter contempt. I mean, if we zoom out, we're talking about a person who has not only presided over years of racial violence, but actively used their tenure to cover it up. And um, as you you know, illuminated in the package, this is evidenced by the ongoing Hawthorne investigation, whereby the AFL has once again initiated a, pro- a process that reproduces the very violence that they're purporting to want to stamp out. So it's... Um, you know, beyond Gillen and the AFL as a peak body, though, the, the clubs whose players who have also been vilified over the last fortnight have a long history of enabling racism and abuse. I mean, Charlie Cameron's coach, Chris Fagan, is at the centre of the Hawthorne investigation. Michael Walters and Nathan Wilson, um, you know, they play for a club whose major sponsor is Woodside and they're committing ecocide against Indigenous people on the Burrup Peninsula. And then the Adelaide Crows, right, in partnership with the AFL, have in recent years covered up that infamous camp that inflicted violence upon Indigenous players and um, more recently also gave Tex Walker a slap on the wrist after he racially vilified a player at a reserves game. So I think racism is now a great PR opportunity for Gillen, his executive and the clubs to, you know, posture themselves as these moral beings and you know, brilliant corporate citizens, um, but to also create distance between themselves and the shopping list of historical and current instances of institutional violence and uh, and abuse. So it's, this is the context that his words must sit within and um, and not outside. It sounds like you don't think, and as we heard um, just sending Kim's package, that the clubs were undertaking racism reviews last year in light of um, some of the stuff that came out around Hawthorne. Um, it sounds like you don't really have faith that these kind of reviews are going to be enough for the clubs to make practical changes, or do you think that is a step in the right direction? Well, those reviews, the clubs haven't landed there out of their own volition, right? They've been shamed into those reviews after they've, um, for the most part, been uh, complicit in enabling and perpetuating really horrible violence. So, I mean, any honest accounting would conclude, right, that, you know, that the AFL and the clubs are, um, if not incompetent and incapable, um, then I don't know what they are, right? And... I think the the rational step to see change would, you know, if change is going to come, that'll only come from players no longer standing up but standing out and, you know, deciding to boycott and, um, you know, and step outside the game until, you know, the demands are met and a workplace that they uh, are employed in is safe. I was going to say, you actually um, talked about this last year in light of the Hawthorne allegations and you called on players to boycott the AFL. Have you spoken to any players about that or has that got any momentum or you still think it's a good idea by the sounds of it? I think it's the only rational conclusion. Um, I mean, as I said, any honest accounting would conclude that that's the only response. I mean, the AFL is incapable of engaging in good faith. The league doesn't care about Aboriginal players, their families, our communities where you know, these commodities that they can and resources, right, to be extracted. So 
I kind of view the AFL not as a non-profit and I don't really view Gillan McLaughlin as its CEO. I, I see it more as a, I don't know, a mafia-like institution and at the apex of it is Gillan McLaughlin as the mafia boss. And, you know, they, they really care about power and profit and, you know, that power and profit hinges on an untarnished image. Um, and also I think a small-minded country that is captured by its lack of imagination. I was... Um, you know, people... Oh, sorry. I was going to say that, unfortunately, this is clearly an issue that is broader than just the AFL as a single institution, right? This is, this is yeah, something much bigger. Totally. And it's sort of, I mean, the only thing that makes these institutions move is when they're hit in the pocket. Um, And I've always imagined, you know, like what would happen if blackfellas just walked? You know, we don't have to subject ourselves to this abuse. We don't deserve it. You know, we're beyond it. Um, you know, the game doesn't exist if, if Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander players and other people of colour walk. Like, it comes to a complete standstill. And, you know, it's unfair, but if players want to put an end to what I really feel like is a charade, then they need to speak in the only language that the AFL knows, and that's by hitting them in the pocket. Um, you know, taking a knee and calling out racism isn't an effective theory of change. You know, players really need to hit the executive. Um you know, yep. where it hurts and speak the language that they only know how to speak. On the text line, Maddie says, 30 years later and we still have the same issues. It's beyond a joke. Tom says, it's horrible. These fans fans need to take charge and call out these people at games. They don't deserve to watch these talented guys and girls run around. The game wouldn't be the same without our talented Indigenous players. Someone else says, mm. how is the AFL responsible for online content? And another one in that direction. Unfortunately, can't do a lot about anonymous online abuse. Um, one other thing that we've heard is from former Olympian and the first Aboriginal person to win an Olympic gold medal, Nova Paris, and she started a petition and she wants to see fans who racially abuse players or other spectators banned for life. What do you make of that idea? That seems like something that is pretty easy to implement, right, Ben? Yeah, that's low-hanging fruit. I mean, I agree with Nova and, you know, proportionate consequences, um, should be tabled considering that the cumulative impacts of racism means that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people die, you know, on average 10 years younger than their peers. But I feel like that's the low-hanging fruit that, as one of the, you know, people on the text line said, should have been dealt with decades ago. And I feel as though that the AFL wants the discourse to be centred around the individuals in the same way that I suppose the NRA, you know, does with guns or the gambling industry does with, you know, inverted commas, problem gamblers. You know, they want the attention fixed on the individual and not on the institution and their systems that, you know, enable a lot of this abuse. And, you know, like I said, the AFL has a long, long history of uh, sweeping a lot of things under the rug and putting their profit um, and power, you know, first and foremost. Ben, I really appreciate you coming on the show and chatting about this stuff. Um, Yeah, thanks so much and have a great afternoon. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's Ben Abitangelo and he's a Gunnar Kernai and Wajabalik creative and writer and he's also a former professional cricketer with the Melbourne Stars. On the text line, someone says, the AFL makes a lot of empty promises and statements, but it's shameful how these bigger problems have been allowed to persist and fester. Someone else says, don't forget that it's fans and patrons that are spitting this racist venom and it's not the clubs or the AFL. Hack. Bob first initiative, British smokers will be encouraged to swap their cigarettes for vapes in an effort to help them quit. I'm going to repeat that. They're being encouraged to vape in an effort to quit. On Triple J. Hey, if you've just tuned in, I'm Joe Lauder and I'm hanging out with you on Hack today. Now, giving out vapes to stop people from smoking, that's what the UK government is planning on doing. 
Up to a million British smokers will be given a vape starter kit and support as well to quit smoking. Because we've been hearing so much from health experts recently about how concerned they are about the rates of people taking up vaping, it seems like a bit of a weird move from the UK government. So we're going to find out a bit more about this plan and if it's something that we might see rolling out here in Australia. I've got Christine Cooney with me. She's the executive of Vic Health, which is a public health promotion organisation. Thanks so much for coming on Hack to chat about this, Christine. Thanks for having me, Joe. Just to start with, can you tell me a bit about what we know about this plan that's come out from the UK? Well, it looks like the UK is um, going to be handing out, you know, up to sort of one in five British citizens um, e-cigarette or, you know, more commonly known as vaping kits. Um, with a view to sort of cut the traditional tobacco cigarette smoking rates. Um, so it's really, a, I think, a plan based on vaping products, you know, potentially really dangerous uh, vaping products to swap out maybe one one dangerous product for another is is what we can, you know, from what we've heard in the press today. That's so interesting. So do we know if vaping is less harmful than smoking traditional tobacco and cigarettes? Because that's kind of what's implied here, right? That you're swapping out. What they're implying is that one is less harmful than the other. Yeah, look, um, I mean, obviously tobacco smoking has been around for decades now. um, And, you know, the evidence is really clear about the harms. You know, two and three people who smoke ultimately will die that product so when you're talking about um you know replacing with a product that might be less dangerous i mean you're talking about some pretty startling sort of statistics there so you know e-cigarettes or vapes are uh, are new you know they've they've kind of been bombarding the market over the last few years um so we don't have as much evidence base as what we have on tobacco e-cigarettes but what we do know is that they that they contain 200 chemicals. They contain chemicals that you would find in pesticides uh, and weed killer, um, paint stripper. Um, Most of them contain nicotine, the ones that you will see young people and and people right across the board um, vaping with will all have nicotine in them. Um, Products that say they don't have nicotine will. We know nicotine is a really highly addictive um, substance and it has, you know, issues around brain development in young people. So, yeah, really, Joe, the, the way I look at it is the only things you should be inhaling into your lungs is fresh air, um, not unknown sort of toxic chem- chemicals or nicotine. Right. So it sounds like you don't think this plan from the UK government is a good idea. <laughs> no, we definitely don't think it's a good idea. I mean, look, access to nicotine vaping products to quit smoking um, is something that we do support, but under the medical supervision supervision model. And that's what's available in Australia at the moment. So the only way that you are legally able to get nicotine vaping products is through a pharmacy prescribed by your GP. That is, that's the law at the moment, but we know that that's not what's happening. Is there any research out there about vaping helps people to quit traditional cigarette smoking? Look, under that medical supervision model where you have the, the proper supports in place, um, yes, the e-cigarettes can help people to quit smoking, but it's often an option of last resort. Um, yeah, there are many ways people quit smoking. Most just do it uh, on their own. Then there's other products, you know, patches, et cetera. 
Um, but e-cigarettes can have a role to play, um, but it is really with the proper sort of medical supports in place to understand how you do that over a period of time. The dangers with, you know, sending out e-cigarettes to people and saying, hey, go ahead and swap it out is you'll you'll, you'll end up with just dual usage and that's um, what's been seen. People will, will continue to, to smoke, you know, tobacco cigarettes and they'll, you know, potentially in their downtime start vaping, start vaping. as well. Vaping yeah, indoors and up, smoking outside. Know, yeah, great. Yeah. Double the problem, probably. <laughs> what you were saying about the medical supervision model and that helping people to quit smoking cigarettes, what does that look like? Is that a plan where you taper down the amount of nicotine that you're having? Is it something like that? Yeah, and the the prescription models are, you know, the products um, have more clarity on sort of the nicotine that's within there. There's a, there's a plan that you work on with your doctor around um, you know, coming off nicotine addiction. So it's, yeah, it's it's been proven and the evidence shows that when you are doing that in conjunction with the right medical supports in place, it can um, ha- have a positive impact. But the kind of, you know, sending out to a million people um, without any supports and people that maybe <laughs> have no intention of wanting to quit, you know, there needs to be an intention, um, doesn't sound like a great idea. It has the potential to really, I guess, flood the market, you know, with, with more product. Do we know if many people go from vaping to smoking traditional cigarettes, that idea of it being a like, quote unquote, gateway drug? Um, there is some evidence now. And as I say, that that we don't have, you know, the decades of evidence that, that we obviously have in tobacco cigarettes. But um, the latest studies show that people who are vaping are three times more likely to take up smoking. We're start, starting to see some worrying statistics come through, particularly in that younger age group. Um, yeah, so there's definitely evidence building about vaping being a, a gateway to taking up the the you know the tobacco smoking. Is one of the big issues here that uh, just around how much we know about the long term impacts of vaping? Yes, it is. Um, and that is, you know, I, mean, I guess it's where we were back many decades ago about cigarettes and um, being told conflicting information by the tobacco, you know, the big tobacco industry. So there isn't the long-term evidence base, but we absolutely, what we do know is that they, testing shows they contain toxic chemicals. You know, there's incidents of people, you know, in hospital um, you know, increases in asthma. They've got chemicals that that uh, are known to cause cancer. So that that is a fact that they contain these toxic chemicals. I guess the long term effects of that, though, is what isn't there at the moment. Going back to the UK and this plan that they have to give smokers vapes to try and get them to quit smoking, is the UK in a different place to Australia when it does come to smoking rates? I mean, statistically, I think, you know, they're looking at sort of trying to reduce smoking rates from sort of 13% to 5% is what the, you know, what it said in the paper today. So they're not dissimilar in the the starting point of Australia there. Um, But they have chosen, I guess, a, a, you know, a really different pathway with e-cigarettes and the role that they can play. Um, We certainly don't think that is um, the correct path for Australia to go down. We really welcome the Australian government's commitment to protecting um, young people and all people from the dangers of e-cigarettes. I think 
you know, the government have come out really strongly uh, in support of taking action. We're currently awaiting um, the outcomes of a, you know, a consultation process that took place in January. So, you know, we feel certainly what we're hearing, uh, you know, and what the government is saying publicly is that, that they are going to take some really strong action in this space. Hack on Triple J. That's Christine Cooney and she's the executive of Vic Health, which is a public health promotion organisation. On the text line, someone says it's much harder to quit vaping than to quit cigarettes. But then someone says a 25-year smoker here. I've been off cigarettes for nearly 12 months now and it's with no nicotine vapes. It's been the biggest help of anything I've tried. Another person says, Jesus, if people want to want to smoke, just let them. They know the risks and we're supposed to be adults. And another person says, vaping is not new. It's more than 20 years old. This speaker is a bit alarmist and he's speaking in a very misleading fashion. Hack. The action was swift from fans at reports of the Lovers megastar and English actor Joe Alwyn's split. Okay, so for anyone who missed it, CNN did confirm independently by reaching out to Taylor and Joe's teams that they broke up. On Triple Jack. All right, be honest. Have you ever got a bit emotional about something that's happened to a celebrity? Maybe it's your favourite singer when she breaks up with her long-term boyfriend? It's been an emotional week for Swifties all across the world with the news that Taylor Swift, yes, has broken up with her long-term boyfriend, the actor Joe Alwyn. And there's been some pretty intense reactions from fans that have been going around on socials. And so here's a bit of a sample for you. I never walk on Street Here's my obligatory video on my thoughts on basically Swifty Armageddon, the news that Taylor Swift and Joe Alwyn, her boyfriend of six or seven years, have broken up. Well, they're one of the most talked about celebrity couples who we never actually see, but word is Taylor Swift and longtime boyfriend Joe Alwyn have split up after six years together. Rumours last year suggested they were engaged. There was even talk they secretly tied the knot already. Does someone have a Taylor Swift breakup playlist for Taylor Swift? How do you feel when your favourite celebrities break up? I get sad. I do get sad. And I don't know why, because I don't know them. I definitely do get sad and I will admit that it is not the healthiest reaction to two strangers who I've never met. It is very much parasocial. Is it the healthiest response? No. Do I still do it? Yes. How do you feel when your favourite celebrities break up? I feel absolutely nothing. I don't get the point of it. I just appreciate them for the art and I wish more people would too. I think that like people who get really really into celebrity relationships care more about them than their friends' relationships. And apparently it happened a few weeks ago. It was not dramatic. The relationship had run its course. That's why Alan hasn't been spotted at any shows. They broke up before the tour? Oh my god! Oh my god. Ha. Look on Triple J. <laughs> Look, breakups are tough when you go through them yourself or if your friend goes through them, but yeah, celebrity breakups. Some people are so cut up about them. I've got Nell Jarrett's with me. She's a culture reporter at the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age, and she's been looking into this a bit. Nell, welcome to Hack. Hey, Joe. Thanks for having me. To start with, have you ever grieved a celebrity breakup? Are you grieving right now about Taylor Swift's breakup? <laughs> Look, as much as I enjoyed that montage, uh, writing the story that I wrote this week for the Aiden City Morning Herald, I was an objective bystander, I would say. I I can't say that I'm sitting here sort of sobbing (laughs) over this uh, into the relationship, Um, but, you know, I can definitely sympathise with those that are. Why do you think this particular breakup, Taylor Swift and Joe Alwyn, is making such an impact? Mm. I mean, I think it's 
so intense around Swift fans because Taylor's known for her authenticity, you know, her, her openness and transparency in her music. She, she shares a fair bit of detail uh, about her love life in most of her songs, if not all, I would say. So fans really do feel, I think, that they, they know what she's feeling, that they're going through it almost simultaneously with her. They know what she's been through and potentially what she's going through, you know, in this very moment. And then I think the other aspect of it is that Taylor Swift has been on the music scene for, what, something between like 16 or 18 years now, nearly two decades. So some fans have been following her story for many, many years and they feel really connected to her, understandably. Um, Taylor Swift is is an icon, you know, some, some of her fans probably aspire to be like her or even perhaps live vicariously through her because... <laughs> Who doesn't want to live an exciting life of um, celebdom? And that includes her relationships. I was going to say, I feel like she's also soundtracked a lot of people's relationships and breakups because she is so raw and honest about her emotions as well that people can't help but feeling kind of invested in her emotions as Mm, well. Absolutely. You know, many of her songs, people describe them almost like diaries in an entry, right? Or I said in my story, it's like hushed conversations between close friends, you know, those those conversations you would have had when you're a teenager having a sleepover, right? And so of course you're gonna you're going to relate to her. You're gonna feel that she's being open to you as if she were a relative or, you know, a close peer that you can confide in as well and maybe seek advice from. You've been speaking to some Swifties for the story that you wrote this week. What did they say about why their reaction has been so emotional? I think the main point um, for a lot of them, they, like I mentioned earlier, they've just been following Taylor Swift's journey, both professionally through her career in music, but also privately, you know, following very closely each relationship that she's entered into and, you know, come out of. And I think also just because... There's so much access out there now. You know, these Mm. fans are able to follow each minute part, if you will, of Taylor Swift's life. And that's through like social media, blogs, tabloid pieces, paparazzi shots. Um, Even though a lot of this is very much like planned and curated, you know, like what's put out in the public sphere, I think the Swifties I spoke to, it genuinely felt as if, they believe they they personally know Taylor Swift almost like a friend. Um, so they can't help but have become invested in what she's going through um, and sort of experience heartbreak at the same time as her. I liked that one of the people you spoke to was like, I'm so devastated, but also this is going to be great for the next album. And even on the text line <laughs> at the moment, a few people are like, wow, she must need new album content, which is a bit cynical. But somebody oh. says like... <laughs> So disappointed that Taylor Swift and Joe broke up. I was really happy for the two together. Hopefully she makes a good breakup song to make it up to her fans. <laughs> it seems like this everyone's now... Well, there's there's kind of like there's an expectation now that, right, that the music that she makes after this is also, again, going to be kind of voyeuristic but very much about her breakup. Mm, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, and, I mean, I would definitely be shocked myself if her future music just didn't mention it at all. Um, I think that would definitely be a, a slight letdown, I would say, for the fandom. Um, I actually had one Swifty say to me that they were more shocked about the news 
of this breakup than they would have been if Taylor Swift had come out and announced her retirement from music. <laughs> really? Yeah, so this goes deep. It really goes deep. People were very much invested in this relationship and her fans truly believed that this relationship, which went on for about six years, it, it was really solid and it was really healthy and functional. And of course, with celebrity relationships, I don't know if you ever really truly know. I, I don't think Look, that the flaws and the cracks are very evident for the public. But I, Yeah, I was going to say on that without being too cynical, like how much this plays into Taylor Swift's brand, like the relationship, mm. but then also the breakup as well, because, you know, with celebrities, like they are, they're, they're like a commodity at the end of the day. A hundred percent. Yeah, I, I think... Ultimately, we probably will never know with certainty um, sort of how the machine works uh, behind the scenes, as it were. But uh, obviously, all of these really high-flying celebrities like Taylor Swift, they have PR people that are helping them with their social media and also just how they go about publicising their music or whatever they're putting out there, any content, every single day. Like, it's really carefully checked over. And I mean, I, th I think everyone would probably agree that a lot of it is planned. You know, a, a lot of it is probably somewhat calculated. <laughs> and you know what? Fair enough. Shocking. It's made her a lot of money, right? Like it's, it's really worked. Absolutely. No, that's all we've got time for. But thank you so much for coming on and chatting about it. Oh, thank you. This was great. Thanks for having me. That's Nell Jarrett, and she's a cultural reporter at the Sydney Morning Herald and The Age. On the text line, someone says, I've always felt close to Selena Gomez and sympathised with her and her relationships. Another person says, relating to Taylor encouraged me to improve my own health for the better. <laughs> and Mortimer in Cranbourne North says, I cheered when Grimes and Elon Musk parted. That's it for Hack. I'll catch you around. Bye. Hack on Triple Jack.